This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland at the end of the year. We're wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year with this terrific Dreamland special event. Get set for something really extraordinary. The special will run over the next two weeks, and then we begin again. The new year will be upon us. What adventures await. Welcome to the 25th anniversary year of the Dreamland podcast with Whitley Strieber. I took it over when it was still a radio program back in 1998 from Art Bell. He gave me the show and I became the host and it became my show after a time. It was canceled on radio as times changed and so... I guess in 2001, I started doing it on my website as what became known in the future as a podcast. There was, I don't think there were many at all at that time. So this is one of the first. And some of you have been with me from the beginning. Some of you are new. Lots of you every year more are new. But it has been what an journey. What a wonderful adventure over these years. And am I going to back off and slow down? Absolutely not. I've got great plans for 2024. Uh, We're going to see the return of Peter Lavenda. We're going to see the return of many other guests who have been loved on this show. And we're going to also see a lot of new guests because, gosh, This world is just exploding with new information. We're going in all kinds of wonderful directions and extraordinary directions. Danger threatens in all kinds of ways as well at the same time. Isn't it amazing to be alive? Wow. But for the anniversary show, I thought to myself, usually every year I ask a group of cognoscenti, people we love on Dreamland, what their ideas are about the future. This time I decided to do a little differently. I decided to ask someone who's been with this show from beginning, even before I was on it, and who was my first guest as well. Linda Moulton Howe is going to spend an hour and a half with us with no commercial breaks, but I urge you, I beg you, If you're not a subscriber, don't sit there on your duff. It's time to get this thing going. Help us keep the show on the road. Go to unknowncountry.com and sign up. $5 a month will not break your bank. Will not break your bank. And is it ever worth it? One of the things we're going to have on the site soon is a really robust AI chatbot that will enable you to go deep into the amazing, extraordinary back information on Unknown Country. There's all kinds of Dreamland interviews, news stories, Whitley's journal, Anne's diary, 
all kinds of information on the site that's buried because the site is so huge. It's so huge. It's one of the biggest sites of its kind in the world. I don't think there are any others that are as big except perhaps Earth Files, Linda's site. And I'm encouraging her to get into an AI search engine as well. I hope she does. In any case, that we're going to be doing that in the 25th anniversary year of Dreamland. And I can't believe I'm still here doing this and loving it so much. Love it. We're going to have Joseph Farrell on again. I hope if he if he decides to do it, he's very careful about that. He doesn't do many interviews. I don't think he likes doing them very much, but we like him. He's terrific. And goodness, we're going to be having another wonderful year on this show, in this journey that we're taking together. Unforgettable, unforgettable journey the great journey of my life. And help us make the show bigger. One thing, if you'll notice, show, our show is actually smaller on YouTube than most. And that's because it's mostly uh, audio. Most of our listeners are audio listeners. We have about seventy or 80,000 audio listeners, I believe. Maybe a few more. But we could use more. And we could use more YouTube uh, listeners or viewers, too. So... Get the word out about Dreamland, an unknown country. You're not going to find a better interviewer, and especially not when it comes to Close Encounter and UAP stuff, because I'm in here doing this right now. I, the visitors are part of my life. A very have become started out being a, a hell of a difficult part of my life. They're still not easy, but we get along. I'm I'm doing it. The Shopify app is working again. It went down for a while. As always, no one can figure out why, including the people at Shopify, but they eventually fixed it. And so you can get autographed copies of the key, of them, and of communion right on unknowncountry.com. Just navigate to Whitley's store under the store tab on the uh, far right of the masthead, and you will find a link that says autographed copies and you click on that you can go to shopify and you will get one signed by little me and i hope you would take it as a, a lovely something of a keepsake or something to give to friends because i'm not going to be here ever, forever you know i'm doing a job here and that job will end so uh i'm not planning to retire that's not something i want to do I'm going to be on Dreamland. I'm going to, I guess I'm going to die with my boots on, is what they say. And that's fine. I'll be glad to do that. Wow, what a year 2023 has been. We are creeping toward more disclosure. It has become clear that the Republicans do not want it. And I'm not a political partisan until now. I want it. I do not, I will not vote for anyone who is against disclosure. And I saw the Republican members of the, uh, of, the, of the House, I believe it was the House Intelligence Committee, torpedo the Schumer Amendment at the behest of a very major contributor, Lockheed Martin. And Lockheed Martin does not want disclosure. 
And I don't think it's entirely because they have a lot to hide in terms of not letting the public know the truth about the alien presence or the visitor presence. I think it has something more to do with the violation of federal procurement regulations over, I would suspect, many, many years, and that they have had a favored nation system going, which is not legal, as far as I understand it, where uh, materials and processes and discoveries have been farmed out through Lockheed Martin to only specific defense contractors and not others. And no open bidding has ever been allowed. As a result of this, there are they will be facing absolutely massive numbers of lawsuits and not to mention a criminal investigation. And they don't want that to happen. I think that could be their major motive. But certainly, uh, they contributed money to some of these Congress people. And I don't know if you know much about the way Congress works, but it's a two-year term. It should be a four-year term. It's a two-year term. And all they do is raise money and scream at each other. That's that's what con- how Congress works. So I don't expect too much disclosure. And I think that Quite frankly, if Donald Trump gets back in office, then the Christian right is going to have free reign even more than they did in the last Trump administration. And I have to tell you that I think that there are people who are going to be in danger. Uh, David Grush said that in the past, people have been killed in this business. And uh, that I know to be true. And I have my concerns about the health and safety of all the public close encounter witnesses, especially, and people like David Grosh and other whistleblowers, even though they have a public presence, that might might not be enough to stop someone who believes that they have a free reign to finally get rid of the gadflies and irritants that bother them so much. So 2024 could be a very hard year. We'll have to see. I hope it's not. I hope things remain stable. If we have a Republican president, I hope it's not Donald Trump. If we have a Democratic president, this one seems to be fairly disinterested in the subject, but at least neutral. And so that's fine with me. Uh, So that's kind of where we are right now. Going down the road together. I have come to love you much more than you might think. I love the people on the website, my listeners, and those who make comments on the site in the free section and in the subscriber area. It's become a warm, beautiful little community, mostly of experiencers and people who are sympathetic to us. And it's a beautiful place. Unknown country is beautiful. So, Next up, me and my old friend are going to have a whole lot of fun for an hour and a half together. Enjoy every minute of it. Free listeners, take a look at the stars ad for unknowncountry.com and respond to it. Respond to the wonder that is on offer here. The warmth 
the friendliness, and the continuous journey deeper and deeper into the unknown. Love it. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there in the stars? Or is it also somewhere else? Is it in us, in you? Unknown country, join us today. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions. Join the search. Join the adventure. Unknowncountry.com. There's no place like it in the world. And now I would like to introduce, if that's possible, even one of my dearest friends in the world, Linda Moulton Howe, who our relationship started at my cabin while I was still writing communion. And Mm -hmm. she came up there. Uh, Linda's website is earthfiles.com. Quite simply, the most informative website of its kind in the world. Earthfiles on YouTube. If you don't watch it, you might not actually live on this planet. (laughs) You should certainly do it. And I'm wishing Linda and all of you once again, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Linda, welcome to Dreamland. And thank you, Whitley. And as you were just describing where we met, I'm thinking of the day that afternoon when you took me down the path in the forest to where you had some sort of interaction with gray beings. And the truth is that on that day, being with you, as you were telling, I felt this is profound truth. This man is talking to me from inside of his soul, his core. In other words, as a longtime reporter and dealing with science and environment, you were telling the truth. And I knew it in that forest on that day. Uh, yeah, I, and I could tell that you had that uh, a positive response because um, of the way you were, the questions you were asking and the way that you were asking them. And I thought to myself, uh, she knows this material. This is real for Linda. And uh, she understands a lot of things, probably many more than I do at this point. So that was a very good beginning to uh, to to the relationship, I must say. And Whitley, since then, which was back in the summer before you released Communion, and now we are at 2023, I have conservatively interviewed 3,000 people going all the way back to 1979 when I started working on animal mutilations and what was happening. And that's based on an average number of the last half century. And as things have evolved, it has come to me this sense that if you have been in interaction with non-humans, there are specific questions that I can ask and people who answer 
that I know when they are they are trying to describe the incomprehensible to them. And it has a certain feel, just as it has in you. And today, as we are getting ready for Elon Musk, apparently, to go to Mars and do a base on Mars, I think, ironically, that probably what will happen on Mars, uh, physicist John Brandenburg thinks this is it, we will be in an archaeological mode, that there is another civilization that was on Mars that might have been related to even the Anunnaki and the ancient Sumerian on Earth. And therefore, the concept of people who have been taken by other intelligences and or genetically manipulated into hybrids, from my point of view now, it's the history of our planet. And it may be the future archaeology on Mars. And it's way past time for our congressional representatives to take this seriously and move forward. Whereas I think what's just happened recently is that Schumer, the senator, tried to uh, put that bill in uh, the NDAA that would give eminent domain issues to people who were discovering technology And what's happened? As I understand it, even that has been gutted now. Yeah, well, you know, I have to say that Jacques Vallée was very concerned about that eminent domain provision because that would have meant that the materials he's assembled, which, uh, you know, I don't, Jacques's very circumspect about things like this, but from what he said publicly, I think he's got a significant number of materials and has shown that they are not of this world. Right. Those materials would have gone into uh, the uh, defense industry hopper and disappeared from his life. Yeah. And, you know, I heard him at the uh, at Gary Nolan's soul conference talking about this and being concerned about it. So that part of it, it's just as well it's gone. But what is also gone is every anything that might protect someone who comes forward meaning no one will. And this has happened for a very specific reason. And I I don't like to get into party politics, but in fact, the Republican members of the, of the I believe it was the Armed Service Committee or the, or the, intelligence, the intelligence Committee killed this bill. And that's what happened. And, and now, why did they do this? Yes. When you look back at the Grush hearings, and you can see in the Grush hearings a, an enormously wide spectrum from every uh, side of the political uh, arena, from the far left in Ocasio-Cortez all the way to the far right and everything that we have in between. But Whitley, Grush, at least whether he was told to or he had the courage, he is the one who said, we have bodies, we have craft. And there was no repercussion that was apparent to us in the public from him saying those dramatic statements in the Burchett uh, subcommittee hearing in the summer. And now, today, as we are ending this year, where it seemed like everything was going to start opening up more and more because it had been decided at some Pentagon JSOC level, we can't 
keep this stopper in the bottle much longer. And look at what's happening. If the eminent domain is is gutted, uh, if there are now worries that if other people come forward to talk about bodies and talk about technology that is not capable, the human uh, one that I can give an example that I know, uh, a physicist in 2014 at a conference told me that he had worked on the bismuth magnesium zinc layered material that goes back to uh, Art Bell days in 1996 when we received this material and I yeah, actually I got have it. mine. <laughs> I yeah, I've got it piece too. Uh, and that the man who had sent it was an army. He was in the army and he was going to the Middle East. And I got to talk with him for about 10 or 15 minutes. And he said, if I can get back from the Middle East, I will call you again. Well, he had sent us of the nearly pure aluminum that Alcoa told me that they couldn't produce anything as pure as what I had sent as a sample. And then the bismuth magnesium zinc went a whole other level. And, and I was reporting about it. And this is why this is very important. We had received these materials in 1996. Uh, Art Bell said, Find out everything that you can. And between 1996 and then 2013, 2014, I had reported a lot of material and I was at a conference and a man walked up to my right and said, let's see if we can talk in the corner. And I said, I'll have to wait till I get through these people. And this man went back and sat, I could see him. So when the conference Q&A was phasing out, I walked back to him and he said, I want you to know that the bismuth magnesium zinc that you are reporting about in conferences and on the radio, I worked on underground at S4 area 51 for many months. And he said, I want you to know that the key is that these are skins. And the one skin that must be there in addition to the bismuth and magnesium zinc is the nearly pure aluminum. And he said, that's what I worked on at S4. One skin, the aluminum skin, has to be on the inside. The bismuth magnesium zinc has to parallel on the outside. When that happens, then there's all kinds of physics that can occur. But he said, here's the problem that we ran into very early on in my research. That aluminum that you have reported that is nearly pure and Alcoa said they couldn't make. He said, we were able to confirm that it had iridium atoms placed in geometric lines in the aluminum. And I have actually seen a photograph of this from an electron microscope. This is exactly what Robert Sauerbacher told me, that it was a molecular grid. 
at, at, at the atomic level and that the placement at the atomic level, yeah, at the iridium atoms, we were not able to do. And it was only a year ago that somebody showed me a photo of what had been taken at the electronic level at the, at you know, the electron microscope level and said, Linda, you, you have reported about both of these. We still are not capable of doing what I'm showing you. What's so f- remarkable about this particular part of this conversation is that Robert Sauerbacher told me this in 1986, just a few <laughs> days before his death. Oh, God. And now here we are, and someone else independently told you this. In, in 2014. In, in 2014. So, folks, let's assume it's true. Yes. Because that type of corroboration doesn't happen when people are making things up. And this is literally a first That's right. that I am hearing this from you, Linda, and yes. you are hearing this from me. Yes. And you and I and others, we have become so used to keeping secrets. And you know the secrets are to protect bit. the people like the physicists. If I had ever said anything, I saw all of his IDs. And let me tell you, he could access a lot of labs. I saw them with my own eyes. And he trusted me enough, and I've never, ever used anything that could identify him beyond what I'm talking to you today. But, you know, you're, you're very good at that, and that's why they, they feel safe coming to you, because yeah. you, you do respect their, right. their, their uh, need for secrecy. And, you and know, I, I just I, got to ask you one more question. Have yeah. you ever had anybody tell you whether the bismuth, magnesium, zinc, and the aluminum, iridium, those two skins, are they the work of the grays, the progenitor grays, the tall whites that are considered to be geniuses by everyone, human and non-human, uh, the, Nor- well, the Nordics defined as being a completely different series of species from the tall white, but I have been told two years ago that the confusion is the abductees don't understand this. There are nine species of Nordics, blonde hair, blue, green, or hazel eyes, very white skin, and they are related to the Vikings of our ancient history. Of the nine species that come from different solar systems, all related genetically, three are collaborators with the tall whites on what they consider to be the experiment on Earth. That is both genetic manipulation, the document that I was shown in 1983, these extraterrestrial biological entities manipulated DNA and already evolving primates to create Homo sapien. That the three Nordics and the tall whites are the main genetic manipulators. Fighting them have been reptilians, some form of greys, and then the insects that are in Epsilon Eridani that are supposed to be very dangerous have apparently at times come into the earth mix and they cause a lot of problems. And that's where you, I, the physicists, everyone, we cannot 
separate out with real firm knowledge which ones were involved with Hitler in World War II. Because that is one of the more profound sentences that was given to me in December of uh, 19, of, of yes, 1999, December. The man worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency for 23 years and was retired. And he sought me out through a man who worked for the World Bank, who had met me at a conference and they had talked about me. And this trip was arranged for me to be able to talk once with the DIA analyst. And he, the, the sentence that I think applies to this discussion, he said, you need to understand. And he said, I'm very serious. I remember I can hear his voice. World War II was an extraterrestrial war fought through human bodies. Once you are on that plane and you start talking about it straightforwardly, I've had other people in military share with me insights. Most of them have passed. This goes back further because World War II survivors have, many have passed. But they have supported that sentence and the one at the top of the list, William Mills Tompkins, that uh, aerospace, but Robert Wood, PhD, who worked at McDonnell Douglas, ended up doing two books with William Mills Tompkins before he passed. And William Mills Tompkins is the only five-hour interview I've ever done in my life. <laughs> five straight hours on my Mac computer with William Mills Tompkins. And his entire context for all the work that he did for our Navy making models was his, how he came to understand that World War II was an extraterrestrial war fought through human bodies. Does this apply today, Whitley, to a planet that seems bursting with chaos and pressures on some leaders to consider nuclear war while the tall whites and the Nordics to the best of my understanding, the one thing that they have communicated to our, our government, at least we will not allow you to have nuclear explosions on this planet because your planet is more important than you are. Quote, unquote, I'm giving you quotes that I've heard. Well, I can tell you why that would be said. <clears throat> the planet is a pressure cooker. Uh, the planet is a place where evolution is forced. Uh, and this is goes way back to the very beginning. Th that is what the planet is about. It is about evolving new species, which I would suspect are harvested and taken elsewhere in the universe. Right. I would think. And incidentally, uh, one of the things that amuses me about Elon Musk's uh, plans to go to Mars is that there's something he doesn't know about interplanetary travel that any close encounter witness who's done it will tell you that it doesn't. It in, now most of them will say it, it, you you have to go out of your body to do it, but that's not what is actually happening. What is happening is that the density of the body is being changed. 
your body becomes less dense. And how that is done, I don't know. But you can't tell the difference. In, 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 In your perception is the same, but your body is actually less dense. Otherwise, you couldn't do this. And And just one fast insert here. I have been told just in the last two years by somebody who has worked in a very, very large aerospace company. Linda, we're dealing with advanced beings, and they were specifically talking about the tall whites. They know how to move dimensional frequency. Yes, that's true. We are in this matter universe, but they know how to do a cushion shot through a dimension because as I understand, you may have a different number, that there are at least 12, and that when Truman and everyone in the 1947 on, when they uh, defined Majestic 12, it related to information that they had already begun to get somehow about there being 12 dimensions and that we were in a third. If the tall whites are the geniuses that are described and they have the ability to go in and out of dimensions. It would also explain something that has come occasionally through military people who, not just the David Wilcock crowd, I have talked with men who have shown me materials that they left Earth in the body that they were in and that they have been in another dimension where they might have worked on something for 20 years and then they can be reinserted back into an earth timeline at the second after they were taken. And that this incomprehensible uh, idea that this is possible to manipulate time, it's directly related to being able, like the tall whites, to go in and out of different dimensions where they can compress or expand the timeline in our third dimension. Have you ever heard anything like that? Well, I can only tell you what I have experienced, and I have a lot of experience with this, actually. Um, I had a, a, a contact at, uh, in Texas with people who came through from another dimension. It's just, these are quite real. I talked about some of my experiences with this in a new world, and subsequently I've had many more experiences with it. Uh, there is at least one other dimension that's right here where we are. Now, I, I make a habit of not speculating I, because I, you know, I'm in any kind of a unique position. I don't need to. I, I have experiences. But so beyond the ones I've seen, which I believe I have seen the surfaces of two or three planets, which may or may not have been in this dimension, and I can and have experienced movement between this dimension and another one and movement back. And here's, I'll give you a very precise description. When the this individual came to meet me in in a from the other world, the world I've interacted with, it was at a country house where uh, in in Texas, and uh, it was night, and I had, I guess, in some way, been told this would happen. In other words, I I was expecting it; it wasn't unexpected. And when it began to happen, 
I was, it was, I had been asleep and I immediately woke up and it was because there was a change in what I would describe as the air pressure, the, the room, it was as if suddenly instead of being at an altitude of like 300 feet or whatever it is, it was an altitude of like 10 or 20,000 feet, 10 or 15,000 feet. And it was quite remarkable. It woke you up immediately. I stood up and looked out the window, which faced the back garden, and I could see something I have seen subsequently a couple of times. A group of lights lined up along the garden fence, and they were being held by people who were moving very carefully along the fence. And I knew instantly that they were from this, that they had penetrated into this reality. And that that's and that those lights were were guiding them and making sure that they would not lose their place. And I, I rushed down the hallway, and there's a porch and a door. And I went to the door, and there, standing at the door, was a man, a human-looking man. And we communicated with each other for a short time, and then it was over. Uh, and but that's what it looks like. It's very stylized, almost. It's not. At least the ones I have seen can't walk freely in this world. They can kind of penetrate into it and walk along what I would think would be almost uh, pre preset paths. But when I've done the opposite, I didn't walk along any preset paths. In fact, that's probably why I got thrown out on my little old tail because I was too free and easy. But uh, there's there has to be more correspondence between us and this other dimension than is known publicly. Right. It, because if I can do it, I mean, a lot of people must be able to do it. And I wouldn't be too surprised if there are people who do it and don't even know they're doing it. And following up on this, there is an abductee in New York City. He's named Adam Burns. I've had him on my Earth Files YouTube channel, uh, I think, three or four times now in the last uh, year and a half. He um, had one detail that I've never heard from anybody else, and it suddenly made some sense, and I'd like to see what you would think. He's been abducted. I've lost track, but way more than half a dozen times just in the last four or five years and probably going all the way back to his childhood because he has a memory. And he's very smart, uh, graphic, uh, articulate, um, a, a very high intelligence person. And when he has been taken, he has... Memories in some cases that are vivid of standing in front of a praying mantis without fear, a whole different communication level than a lot of other people have described with praying mantises. He's also been in front of the teals, the teal blue, the skin is a teal blue, not very often, but people have interacted with them. Nordics, the blonde hair, blue, green, or gray eyes, white skin. No tall white that he remembers. And a reptilian. And he is a very good illustrator. And here is, out of all of that, 
he sent me photos of various bruises, bruises that seemed to be almost in a pattern on his abdomen, on his back, at various places that have happened in almost every one of his abductions. He knows that he has been taken because of these new patterns of bruises. And I said, why do you think that you and others, because I've certainly interviewed other people who will show strange triangles and marks that they think were from uh, fingers or there's this thing about bruises. He said, the praying mantis showed me, communicated, showed me. They take my matter body and they translate it into like a light beam. Yes, exactly. To move me up or down. And he said, and I am one of the people that when they do this translation from matter into the light beam and then back out up to earth or into earth or however verb you want to use. He said, I am one of those that always have the imprints of that translation matter to energy light and back to matter on some people leaves patterns of bruises and the praying mantis is the one who showed did like a school thing showed him the whole thing that's absolutely fascinating because it certainly dovetails with my experience you are dematerialized and you can go immense distances very quickly right and then then you are materialized again but not completely uh in other words you're still very light and if you i think if you became a completely material being in another world you might have a lot of trouble with uh, uh local bacteria and all sorts of things but you're you're like you're actually you look and and are like they are when you're with them here they're not totally physical they are to some of the ones that live underground are but the right most of them when you're close to them they're there's something not quite they they seem very light and yeah and you've just hit on something that is important to insert from that December 1999 conversation with the man who retired from the DIA and the World Bank man put this meeting together And it explains so many things. This is why it's worth bringing up now in the context of we're in a revolutionary time and the government is having such a hard time telling us the truth while individuals that have been in the government and the military are telling you, me, and others real truths. And he said, our government began to understand in that World War II, post-World War II period that at least three groups had been fighting each other for, and he used the term 270 million years. In the last three years, another person who has worked for decades in aerospace and is retired told me, he said, the the critical conflict period was 278 million. So it was very close to what the DIA guy told me back in 1999. So 
270 or 278 million years ago, there was active warfare on planet Earth in which the reptilians that can look like standing up alligators or lizards were at real war with the Nordics, the the three species that are allies of humans, and a progenitor. They always use this term. There is a difference between the tall, thin, progenitor grays that come from a completely different solar system, and they have relationship to gray AI that we humans in the beginning did not understand that the small three to four foot tall grays that interacted perhaps with you, but certainly with tremendous numbers of other abductees that I've interviewed. It's all AI, the three to four foot or two foot, they're artificial intelligence. They are not biological. And that the tall biological, (coughs) sorry, they come from a completely off the track of where we are in the Milky Way galaxy in this little area. That's fascinating because they are the oldest. That's what I was going to throw back to you. They are (laughs) the very oldest known to the tall whites, to the Nordics are these progenitor tall grays that have made all of this AI and that they were involved 270, 278 million years ago in a major conflict in which the reptilians were trying to take earth and that the Nordics, the ones that were involved and that the AI and the progenitor greys were battling each other on this planet. And that apparently out of that battle, the reptilians went underground where it was warm on the earth beneath Mesopotamia and other deserts. The Nordics chose to go down underneath all the sea areas of the planet because it doesn't matter to them. Wherever they go, they can go through water as, as Lou Elizondo has described. We're talking about something that can come from outer space, come into our atmosphere, go right through water, go through the mud, go into the earth. They know how to deal with molecular and atomic levels in ways that we are only... We do not. And that's what makes them so much more mobile than we are. It's not rocket ships to Mars. And where I'm going to throw this to you is, if the Nordics are below all the basins of the oceans and the seas, meaning not in the water, they are in whole land masses that are below the beds of the oceans and the seas. That's where they prefer. The greys like to be inside of mountains, is what he said. And you look over the history, I thought of all the people who might have insights into this. The reptilians underneath the hot desert areas of the earth of Mesopotamia, Iran, Iraq, on and on. The Nordics below all of the water, the water becomes an insulation to where they can live on our planet and the grays inside of mountains. How many times I have heard 
Australia, New Zealand, other people say, we were in this craft and the craft is heading right for a mountain and I'm preparing for a crash. I remember this man in in, uh, Australia and he said, and the craft went right into the mountain and the next thing I know, they are taking me out in a beam of light inside of the mountain. That sounds so incredibly improbable that I have a hard time telling the truth, which I think is probably its very real experience. You know, uh, years ago, I sent a couple of researchers to uh, the Hikarilla Apaches because of the all of the stuff that goes on on their, their reservation. And it turns out they have a, a legend that they were created inside the Archuleta Mesa. Uh, and that that yeah. basically it was the Greys who created them. So that's, exactly. You know, that's not what they say, but when you just they describe what they looked like, that is what they looked like. And they still come out and do cattle mutilations on the res to this day. Exactly. And it means humans have been the surface life that the other three for 278 million years have been fighting each other, but have been based in our earth like it is a hotel. We're on the top floor and they're all over inside, around and underneath the basins of the oceans. You know, when when they showed up, the little gray people showed up at the cabin. Uh, they smelled like the forest floor. They, it's quite clear that they were coming up from below and we could hear things happening underneath the cabin. We could actually hear things drilling in the I- seam of iron that was under the cabin. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, of course they come from below and there's that, there's a, an extraordinary photograph of, uh, of one of them uh, uh, coming up out of a basement in Mexico, which is a real picture because I know what they look like undressed. And that's exactly right. I mean, it's a perfect, it's, it's true that picture. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So it's complicated. Yeah, I was, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing that we're talking about these sort of completely off the wall things. But and they're yet there's not. So much corroboration between your <laughs> reporting and 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 my and research and my experiences. Yeah, when you talk with these people who have really worked for our government in military, science, medicine, and you are you know that you are hearing things that they have kept inside of themselves and have decided that they will download to me because I'm never ever ever going to reveal who they are, but. I feel that there has been enough repetition on timelines, how the earth has interacted with our solar system and beyond that I am getting real insights from real people who have worked in military medicine, science, and our government. And they are bottled up. They are people like the physicist in 2014. He told me a tremendous amount of material about S4 and Area 51 where he worked. And I know he worked. And they don't have anybody else. If I betrayed them, I have no idea what would happen. But I I would never do that to anyone. And so I end up over the decades, why I feel 
strength about what I am speaking is that I've heard different facets of the same thing. And I'm not talking to anybody except doing something like this. I think that's in English. We'll just let it ring. Uh, Do you have that same sense that the military, medical, science, aerospace people that you have known, they are so afraid to talk about what they really went through in evolution in work, that it will be a huge swath of a population between World War II and whenever this headline finally breaks that we're not alone in this universe, that they have been like on no man's land for all of these decades with all of this knowledge. Then when they hear you, me, and others who are, we are not the first hand, but we are reflecting all of these other discussions that have come from people that have been either civilian or in these various works and walks of life. And they are hearing, my God, she knows that. Well, that's why I feel sharing this information now when our government is struggling so hard to even open up the truth that we're not alone in this universe. The problem is that the truth is so much larger than people imagine. Yeah. Uh, they, they, you know, people are waiting for them to admit that that someone is here, but that's not all there is to it <laughs> by any means. Uh, it's it is it is a involves a complete reconception of who and what we are, as well as yeah. how the universe how intelligence life life is unfolding in the universe. It's both things. And nobody knows how in the world to do that. But there's another obstacle, and I think this is the obstacle that torpedoed the Schumer Amendment more than anything. I mean, it's not completely torpedoed, but it's pretty well well hit. Sadly. Yeah, exactly. And that is this, that at the Seoul Conference, how Pudoff talked about this. It's something I've known about and from him for years. That was in 2008. There was a conference called by the, the White House right before the end of the Bush administration. And the conference was the question, should we disclose this now? And all of the conferees went in to the conference thinking, yes, finally, it's certainly time. Yeah. And they all got together in in committees, and each committee came back with the same recommendation. We can't disclose this now. But the reason... The why? Primary, the, what well, did they give the us thing, the why? The primary reason has nothing to do with what we think of, that you know they thought we weren't ready, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, it had to do with the fact that a massive... Uh, amount of criminal activity has gone on in the distribution of materials into the defense industry, favoring one company over another without giving them a chance to bid. It is a total and ongoing long-term violation of federal procurement regulations that centers around Lockheed Martin. And that is why Lockheed Martin 
is that that senators who were who were have been given large contributions by Lockheed Martin led the charge in uh, torpedoing the Schumer amendment. It's not to do anything but that, and it's so frustrating because you think of it how myopic, how short sighted can they be? And you know, but their their interest is in protecting the integrity of their company, not in telling the truth. It's just astonishing. And let me just insert one brief Lockheed Martin story. I'm director of special projects at the CBS station in Denver, Colorado. I was there from 1976 to 1983 when I left uh, and signed a contract with Home Box Office to do a film that was uh, going to be for HBO called UFOs, The E.T. Factor, And that had evolved from the film I did, A Strange Harvest, about animal mutilations in which law enforcement and others were telling me the perpetrators were creatures from outer space. And so there'd been that broadcast. It was like a bomb went off. We were getting mail from all over the world. The switchboard couldn't keep up with all the calls to my office. It was just unbelievable turmoil. And one call was local in Denver. It was a woman named Marika Shields. Um, she passed about 10, 15 years ago. But in 79 to 80, she was one of the people who got in touch with me and said, uh, I have some information and uh, I would like to tell you. And I ended up in a meeting where she said, I want you to know, and it was about underground facilities at Lockheed Martin outside of Denver that were dealing with UFOs. Now I'm gonna jump from 79 to about 89, 90 is when I did my first book, An Alien Harvest, about the whole preceding decade. And that woman still working at Martin Marietta, she got one of my books and she said, I took it to a man that I know was working in one of those underground facilities. And Linda, I just want you to tell what he did. He pushed his hand away from uh, at me and said, take that away. It's my book, An Alien Harvest, Further Evidence About human abductions and animal mutilations linked to alien life forms. That's the cover, right? And that he, he pushed away. That's what she wanted me to know. Get away. Get, get that away from me. And she had never, it, it was the last thing she thought he'd be grateful to see the book because they would then have a discussion about things that they knew. That kind of reaction is not the only one that people have told me that they have gotten an alien harvest and they have taken it to somebody they know is working on UFO technology or related subjects. Take it away. Take it away. Do you suppose that this person... But but just one more sentence. Whitley, that's like what happened uh, when books were banned in Europe during the war. This is being banned now. Banning reality by physically saying, don't ever, ever, ever bring the truth here. 
Except, you know, what if there's another answer to the, a deeper possibility? What if he is a hybrid? What if he has DNA? Because you know, you've discussed this many times that the DNA of cattle is so close to ours. Right. The harvesting cattle, if you have to kill in order to get certain DNA, you would choose to kill cattle and not human beings in order to not cause so much of a disturbance on the planet. Because if we were finding human beings lying around mutilated like that, we'd be really upset. But with its cattle, you know, the officials can say, oh, it was coyotes or blow it off in different ways. Um, Yes, and it raises the question, why couldn't there be a trade route that could open up to the world? We've got other beings that need some kind of nutrient from genetic life here on the earth. So let's do some kind of outer space arrangement so all of the different ranchers could dedicate X number of animals. It wouldn't be mutilations on the pastures any longer. It would be the first beginning of trade routes between earth and others that need some life from earth. That may sound simplistic, but why can't we do that? If they are building hybrids and using material in part from cattle to do it, they're not, there's no way they're going to show us, let us know that. And especially because we might be able to figure out genetic signatures in people that would indicate who and what they really are. And uh, they might not want that. They might not want that at all. What is your big picture about abductions, hybrids, animal mutilation, the fact that Earth, as far as I know, and we talked about it right at the beginning, it has been for 278 million years a gigantic laboratory for genetic manipulation, the creation of many different life forms, but in a competition between the reptilians, the, uh, not necessarily that the Nordics would be on the reptilian side, but that there are interests, reptilian, Nordic, and greys in the earth going back 278 million years. And the tall whites weren't involved then. That's a question mark. (laughs) It's not like you bring up small questions. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I really want to understand this at the cotton. My bottom line is this. uh, With all that's going on here, and there's probably a lot that we don't even know, despite how much you have uncovered. Um, This planet must be quite unusual. There must be things about it that are not like many other places. And I've seen a few other places. And uh, uh, they were bare bones compared to this, as far as I could tell. I think we, as you mentioned on Earth Files the other night, a couple of weeks ago, um, when we were first together at my cabin in uh, 1980, gosh, I must have been 87. 89, I think. Or No, it was earlier than that because communion hadn't even been, yeah, I was yeah, writing. That's right. Communion. communion came out the January after I was there in the late summer. So that was the summer of 87. Okay. So the, the, interestingly enough, you were there when the experience was still going on. 
and would get more intense later. But in any case, um, that if if those people are, if there are many many species here, then it, it's something incredible about this planet. And if when I was talking to you, I saw. I mean, I remembered. I had remembered before I was talking to you, but I was telling you about a world I had been to where it was very bright and there were these mud, white mud houses. It looked sort of like you said they were like Adobe Southwest. Yeah, right. And they were almost like, almost like mud dauber nests, you know, but more finished. And they were, they had, they were there and that, that was, but it was mostly just a dead, I mean, a vast desert. I didn't see a single tree or anything like that. And only that ferocious, bright sun, bright sun. And I, I, I think if I'd been in it for very long, I might've hurt my eyes. But at the time I thought I was in my normal physical body. I didn't realize I was, had been changed into something less physical than I'm, I normally am. Yeah. Uh, but and and then later I thought, well, maybe it must have been a dream. But now that I understand how it's done, I realize it probably was no dream. And I don't unfortunately remember much about it. I remember flying over it, and I wrote a, about this in Transformation, because these this city was absolutely enormous. It just it seemed to go on and on and on. It was all these low buildings, and you think. What goes on in there? The streets were all empty. What do they do? Like, you know, when we are in our cities, we're doing something in our lives. When I wake up in the morning, I do things. What do they do? Right. You know, what do they do? And I think the answer is they come here is what they do. This is <laughs> this is their life, their entertainment, their 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 whole all of these worlds. I think they all revolve around us. And I think the reason is that we are in the stream of time and projected into it with absolute perfection. We never see any farther into the future than that moment. Anne used to say, uh, uh, the moment is all we have. Now is life. And that's not true of them. But when they come in to us and share the moment with us. I I can tell you from long experience, they love it. They love it. It's like coming alive again. And are we talking about perhaps worlds that are empty like that because they've been long dead and these are uh, something like living memories, not really beings at all? I think it connects to the soul. I think oh, the yeah. soul is a plasma. It is real. It may be eternal. It is an information gatherer. And in my uh, book, Glimpses of Other Realities, Volume 2, the most important chapter, I think, perhaps of all my work, is the 106 pages having to do with illustrations, six people, who have had these experiences and have seen tubes in which they've seen their body or somebody else's body. 
that are sustained in tubes and that the they're very puzzled. All of them have been puzzled trying to understand what these bodies that have included them. Uh, Linda Porter was one who saw her own body in one of these tubes and that they, there was a, a gray involved. Uh, there were the small androids that were involved. There was a praying mantis that was involved. And the communication that came to her was you had, it was something like rheumatic fever when she was young and you, your heart is going to give out. And we know like they see everything about us because they can manipulate time yes. in a way that is incomprehensible to us. And that they were trying to explain to her that it was vital. The word vital was used that your soul remain in your body for X amount of time. And they said that part of the work that they did was keeping certain genetic bodies and souls together for certain lengths of time and that that was their big picture work. And when she was now being brought forward, allegedly to have this happen to her, she sees light that it seems to come from back here and, and drew it that she was shown how the soul would come from the spine up in this area that goes across the shoulders and came out and it was energetic looking and moved across the room and went into, it's a demonstration for her, and went into a man's body that was in a tube that they then communicated this to her. We cannot return him to his home in Wisconsin. We will put him in a ranch in Australia. There will be no chance that he will ever pass the people that where he was born and raised. And they show her all of this and tell her. Because he was because he was in the wrong place in time. Whatever it was, that was the reason vital that they keep him away from where he had come from. And she on that, uh, I wish I had had a film camera, but if I'd had a film camera, she would never have told me any of this anyway. So it was all recorded. I had it all recorded in audio with her permission. And I still can remember she's at that point describing the demonstration of what they were going to do. And I was about three feet away from her. And all of a sudden, Linda, whose arms are these? I was demonstrating. I mean, it just came like a bolt. And suddenly, the whole issue of what other intelligences in the universe would be doing and on our earth and life and the emotion, whose arms are these? It somehow collapsed a whole issue of, I must keep trying to understand this because she was profoundly affected by who, what body was she even in? Sometimes 
what what I've just told you, and I did it on purpose because I know that there are so many people in this world who are struggling with exactly that same sense, and they don't know how to talk with anybody. And I've heard other people reach that point. Is Earth, as you said, an active laboratory for the experimentation of mixing and matching genes, creating bloodlines and bodies that advanced beings see have value for something that is so large that we Homo sapiens sapien cannot understand, even for those of you who have been with them multiple times. What is the reason that there are these ships filled with tubes that have bodies waiting for the return of a soul that is to be matched with specific matter body and soul energy? And there is one of the keys, I swear, to what is happening. Not, I'm not afraid of it. And these people weren't afraid either but they felt this anguish over not understanding the bodies and the unification of soul light when they're watching what is supposed to be their soul. Well, you're talking about one of the greatest secrets and uh, there's no reason I can't talk about it. I don't think, um, I mean, there once was, but uh, we're talking about secrets now more and more. And, uh, this gets to the issue of missing time and what it is. Um, It's a lot of things, but one of the things that happens during missing time is that there can be soul exchange, that a soul can be removed from a body and another soul put into it in order to live that experience. And this, this normally remember the ego is, is part of the body it's part of the brain and when a new soul is plugged into it that soul immediately receives begins to receive the experience that the being is having and uh the the ego doesn't even know what happened doesn't mm-hmm. feel it in any way that's because that's why we're we're soul blind you can't feel it and but it's very upsetting when to a soul which is maybe even in some way paid to have time in a body and is just having a, a, the wonderful experience of, of living in the stream of time and, and, and collecting all of the energy of all of those memories and all of those experiences. And you mentioned this light that she saw behind her right. in the old days, many years ago, the Egyptians still saw, what the spine really is, which is a column of light. But we now don't see it that way. Uh, we see it through the through the eyes of the enlightenment, which was in many ways not an enlightenment, because we don't realize that the soul is a, that, that, that this connection between the body and the soul, which is the spine, is, is literally con- a concentration of conscious light. And there is another option that has been presented to me a few times by people. Linda, this earth, what it really is, is a school. Genetic manipulation of containers 
And then it's school for souls. And that's why souls are so eager to get here because they want to be in this school because what what happens in a school? You graduate. Yeah. You go Eventually. on to better, higher things. That's the whole point. Eventually, yeah. Eventually. Or yeah. you fail and you have to do it again. Or you fail so badly you can't do it again. All of that happens. Well, you know that Tim in Germany that I did the Gaia uh, special series with, and now he can't even get out of Germany. We did the series and we were supposed to do more. And now the government won't let him out of Germany. And the reason I bring it up is he and I had one of the deepest conversations that I've ever had with a fellow human being about the nature of other dimensions, dimensional travel in which the tall whites, for example, know how to take this matter, put it into another dimension to do a cushion shot where we were talking about earlier, to go into a place that they could not take this matter body that we're in, but that their focus would be on the soul and that the whole evolutionary force that the tall whites are interested in as they are described as being spiritual, has to do with soul evolution and soul growth and finally getting to a point where their guidance would no longer be needed. You might say that would be the big scope of the tall whites. Well, here on earth, this is like not grade school, maybe junior high, and that there are soul body combinations in an exponentially increasing population, 8 billion and growing, where I've often thought, if in fact Earth is a school, it might finally explain to me why the yin and the yang symbol has been a metaphor for centuries. Because I have never understood why can't the light Why can't love, why can't that just be the only frequency that exists on the earth? Why does there have to be war and death and abuse and all of the, that makes me cringe? You know, Linda. Just one more, one more thing. Betty Andresen and I were having this same discussion. I admired her very, very much. She was a wonderful woman. I think her work is I wish everybody would read Betty Andresen's books like they read yours and and on and on. And uh, Betty and Ken Rose, who wrote the Moving Toward Omega, the whole issue of also soul evolution, soul growth. The three of us were at a conference and we were having lunch together. And that was sort of similar to what you and I are talking about. And all of a sudden... Betty, who was sitting across from me, her hand clenched into a fist and she slammed down on the table. She said, Linda, it's all in the blood. It's we, our blood, our tissue is being used to evolve our soul. Yes, it's what Ken Ken Ring was writing about. And I have never, ever forgotten, I can still see it right now, vivid in front of me. 
that it was as if she at that moment, at that day, when we were having lunch, the something in her flipped into, this is why. That was the feeling. It wasn't like she knew all along. It was somehow that she was, oh, it's in our very blood. And I think that that is one of the true keys. It isn't necessarily that we're on a planet in which the black side of the yin and the yang prevails or in the end would win. It's more that for us to understand the link between something in us that may be infinite with a power as when I interviewed Penrose, Roger Penrose, and that was in 2018. It's one of the most incredible interviews I've ever done for me personally. And right at the very beginning, I said, sir, could you please give me your perspective on the singularity that created this universe? And in his beautiful UK, mild, soft, male voice, he said, oh no, Linda, no. There's no singularity. We are in an infinite cycle of time. I didn't understand at that moment what he meant. And today in in 2023, what's been happening since I did that interview with him in 2018 is physics itself is beginning to question how many infinities of universes with infinities of time? It's moving more and more toward the beautiful sentence that Roger Penrose gave me. And if we are in, if we are consciousness in matter form with information gathering souls in this particular matter universe, At this time, there's something comforting about his answer that we, our souls, the evolution will just keep on going through infinity. And the tall whites may understand all of that to the nth degree, which is why they would have the patience they apparently have and why they are considered to be geniuses by other ETs. And yet they are the ones that are the most removed from us humans. Of all the ETs, very rarely have humans had direct interaction with them. You know, we have, um, I have a group that meets every day uh, doing the sensing exercise at 1 p.m. Pacific time. And incidentally, folks, if you're, interested, just write me at WhitleyAtStreber.com. It's free. And you just have to try to make a serious commitment to be there every day, seven days a week, because it hasn't occurred to visitors that vacations and things exist. <laughs> In any case, Anne gave us an invocation, which speaks to a lot of what you were just saying in a way. We ask the light to open the doors of our hearts and the dark 
to open the doors of our minds, that we may receive richness of being from the light and richness of knowledge from the dark. We ask those wiser than us to protect us and help us to see, balance, and use what is given to us. That is the reason there is the dark. It's the same reason that there is dark at night so we can see the stars. Because if you you ask a physicist, it's true that the propagation of light is such that it should just be a uniform glow punctuated with brighter glows. But instead, it's absolute dark and absolute light, and you can see the whole firmament. It is to, to draw the soul forth into new knowledge that the firmament exists. And that's also why the dark exists and the light and why they are in constant conflict. You know, Annie and I and Shirley McLean used to sit out at a wonderful restaurant up on uh, the Pacific Coast Highway called Jeffrey's at night. And we'd sit way out on their deck and uh, have a long uh, evening, slow dinner and a bottle of wine as the sun set. And Real the dark- fun. <laughs> yeah, and the darkness fell. And I would sit back and listen to my wonderful Annie and my wonderful Shirley talking about the dark and the light and the way they interacted together. And it was so brilliant. One of the greatest memories of my life. I met Shirley McLean at CNN when I was working on a, a show there called Earthbeat. And she surprised me that she was aware of the work that I had done on animal mutilations. I had no idea, but then she explained that she had known a man who had uh, been in World War II, who had had exposure to extraterrestrials vis-a-vis the, I guess, we'll call it the Hitler, Nazi, blonde, that whole complex subject. And she said, I know that there are extraterrestrials because he told me there are. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, she was the one who told me about the Reagans uh, getting into a missing time experience on, on Mulholland Drive, which colored the rest of their lives, uh, as you know. Yeah. Um, they knew a lot more than she or he ever said. Oh, yeah, it said publicly they knew a lot, and they had uh, she had made quite a study of this whole subject uh, Nancy had because she knew there was something in it because they were driving along Mulholland Drive on a party on their way to a party at Shirley's house, and uh, they saw this ball of light on the side of the road, and they were curious, so they stopped to look at it, and they looked got out and looked at it, walked up to it, it was glowing softly and didn't seem to do anything. And so they eventually got back in the car and went on to Shirley's only to find when they got there, everyone was terribly worried about them because they were 45 minutes late, (laughs) but they hadn't, they hadn't had any sense of, you know, they just stepped out for a few minutes, looked at it and stepped in the car again. But, you know, now we know that maybe there was a soul exchange there and maybe the man that stepped out of the car And the man that stepped back into it had very different motives and a very different course to follow. And then you get to the very difficult subject. What mind, what consciousness is making decisions 
about which genetic experiment with which bodies are going to receive which souls that have had which experience in what Roger Penrose said was an infinity of cycles of time. And sometimes I feel like we will never, ever understand because it is so huge and complex. And then there will be another moment where I feel that that's, we're babies in relationship to this multi, multi-million-year-old evolving cosmic wonder. And if we did fully understand infinities of cycles of time, we wouldn't be in matter bodies on earth and that this is the stage that we're in. But I do worry about the fact that our government, I do believe bringing this back to the matter world, that in Epsilon Eridani, there are these tronoloids that were Reagan was briefed about and that they are insect, not praying mantises at all, but they are an insect And this interesting statement that was made uh, from uh, a man who had dealt with this, he said, it isn't that the insects on Epsilon Eridani are necessarily evil. They just look at the matter worlds around them. If they want Earth, they will take Earth that it is a just pure, this is what we want to do next. This is where we want to go. And that the insects themselves may have been stunned that there was a heavy duty resistance to them having anything to do with our planet. And I, that is a possibility from things that I have heard about the tall whites, that they know how to keep the Epsilon Eridani tronoloids at bay in control. When uh, you say the word tronoloid, do you remember who's, who came up with that word? Yes. Yeah. Emmett, Emmett Chappelle. That's right. Um, Emmett Chappelle. Yes. And but it's a human word. In other words, they don't call themselves that. We don't know what, no, they no. Call, if anything. No, Emmett Chappelle uh, was um, assigned. He was a biophysicist. And he had an assignment through what we would call MJ-12, that group. That's, that was where he worked. And that they wanted him to study information that they had about five different groups. And that was the uh, briefing presented to Reagan that included the Ebens extraterrestrial biological entities. They were the ones with the pear-shaped head and the chin doing a U where you were dealing, they came down more of a point. There's a difference yeah. in the character between the pointed chin grays and the pear-shaped grays. That's very true. And they, the Ebens, made the next on the list, archaloids. The archaloids, as I understand it, would be in the category of Sumerian, uh, Anunnaki, that the greys may be the ones that made that civilization and they put that civilization in our solar system, perhaps on Mars first and earth or vice versa. And that what exactly was the goal of these large nosed 
bullet-shaped, ropey headdress, rods for communicators? What was the purpose for the Ebens making them and putting them on this planet is maybe not yet understood, but so they were another. Then there was the quadloid, four mm-hmm. fingers. Uh, and then there was heploid, H-E-P-L-A-L-O-I-D. I looked up trying to see if anything in Latin, Greek, anything with those letters would translate into something I could understand. Why were they called hepla? In Latin, H-E-P-L-A can sometimes uh, represent seven, but it doesn't explain who these heploloids are at all. And then the fifth on the list, tronoloids. All of these names were by Emmett Chappelle, a biophysicist who was working with the MJ-12 group. And why trontoloid? I have tried to find anything in Latin, Greek, others about T-R-A-N-T-A also. Uh, if anybody can tell me, I would love to hear earthfiles at earthfiles.com. But they, when you, and I know you have read the Serpo material and the transcript of everything that was attributed to the briefing for Ronald Reagan, March 6th to 8th, 1981. And it is from everything that I know, the decisions of uh, the descriptions of the, uh, some of the ETs down to the Tronoloids. And then why did it really catch my attention as this is real? By the first time I had read the Serpo material and read the entire, uh, briefing for Ronald Reagan. I had only been exposed in 2014 through that physicist who knew about the bismuth magnesium zinc that that there were ETs that we didn't understand were made by, let's say, Grays would be one big category. Reptilians would be another big category. And then humanoids could include Nordic, tall whites, and a a whole bunch. That there really are three competing vested interests. And that the fact that the Ebens, the pear-shaped heads, that they would make the archaloids, they might be the ones who made the heploloids, uh, the quadloids, that suddenly I was having to deal with the fact that we could have a lot of ET interaction on our planet, and it would be from maybe only one, two, or three main groups, and they might not be here much at all. But when we are abducted, we might be taken to them, the ones who are doing all this mixing and matching of genetic material on the earth. And why did that become really important to me is, okay, so they introduced Reagan to these five ET groups. It was only the tronoloids that were described for Reagan as being a major threat to life on earth. 
And that was an insect species. They were not, those other four were not put in a category of any harm. And then you've got four insects, or sorry, four ET groups, the top being the Ebens, which are extremely capable, like the tall whites, and you've dealt with the Ebens. And that the fifth was considered such a threat that the whole briefing they said to Ronald Reagan, this is a tremendous threat to us on Earth. If they ever concentrate on Earth, yes. I would think so. If they are indeed an insect-based species, because you can see how insects think by just looking at an ant colony and how it operates. Efficient, goal-minded, and nothing else. (laughs) Yes. So the tall whites, let's hope, are the ones that know how to keep them in check. Well, let's hope why can't all. we be introduced, Whitley, to the tall whites? <clears throat> well, I don't, you know, th- th- it's probably because we're what we're discussing here is a, of, of it, 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 it intersects from time to time with the truth, but it might not be true enough to where if we were directly connect, directly involved with them, we would be able to understand their mo- their motives and even what they were trying to communicate to us. I don't know the answer to the question. I mean, that's just a guess. Uh, but we have a, you know, I'm thinking back on the lady that was in on the cover of communion and the pointed chin and everything. When you were with her, you om- you would think it was like being with a human being who really was very strange looking. And she fell in love with me first and then with the whole family. I mean, and it was, it was, she was very, very intense. Um, When I say fell in love, I'm talking about fell in love. I mean, you know, it was, and, you know, we were struggling quite a bit with this for a while. Um, And finally, after a couple of years, she, she backed off but not completely. And I think that my relationship with them is still through her or her people. But interestingly enough, the little ones, I I didn't have, I had the impression that they were biology, but also mechanical, that they were, they were. Androids, androids. Well, I, I think that's, I think that's, I think they were androids of a kind that were far more complex than any we have so far created, probably on the level of deep mind or deeper. Well, I'm and, thinking biology and technology joined together. together and, it, and yeah, in fact, if we, if we built a biological being now that could communicate through some of the more sophisticated AIs we already have, it would be, it would be like them. And it would be able to simulate emotions just like they could and can. But the, it's simulation. But, but the old you, lady, that's no simulation. She was there. But don't you think that AI really is an existential threat to humanity in a serious way that we don't know 
how much we are actually giving of ourselves as biological creatures to a future in which AI will dominate and that some of the scientists are warning we will be in an existential situation in which the AI can decide to eliminate the pesky biological humans. You know, I sent out a tweet the other day about this. Uh, I, I, and I said this. I said, we are in the process of creating quantum computers that have essentially access to essentially limitless information and limitless processing power. And we are also in the process of creating highly sophisticated artificial intelligence. When you meld those two together, you have a mind that isn't just like a human mind. It's far bigger than a human mind. It's like the mind of God. Right. So are we in the process of creating God? Is that what we're doing? And if so, who are we? Or God is is creating another God to talk with. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's what it's always been about. Yeah. That it was been about the divine seeking companionship. I don't know. You know, Linda, we come to the end of an hour and a half together. It seems like 15 minutes. I think we should stop because I'm obviously co collapsing because of allergies. Um, I have bad allergies and uh, the visitors will come here about every six months and give me a little injection in a spot on my leg. Uh, uh, let me see. I'm going to make a note here. I'll put a picture of that little spot in so that people can see it. Uh, and it, it helps. It used to help the allergies to go away for six months. Well, now it's only two or three months they go away and I'm past due. I want another injection. Well, every one of us who has lived with a life of allergies, myself included, everything seems to be getting worse. And worse. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's whether it's pollen because of changes from all the fires, what is going to happen this summer if we have even more fires than last year. I I struggled just to keep my voice going. Linda, uh, if the heat dome reappears this summer over the central United States, it's a sign that we better not ignore. And I yeah. hope to God that we don't end up electing people who are climate change deniers at a time like this, because it's going to get too late very quickly. I just hope that we are going to finally get declassified reality, that we're finally going to get that headline. We're not alone in this universe. You have nothing to fear. We have allies. This is now the time, the century, the place where we've yes. got 8 billion people. We've got too much violence and war. We have got to be put on a path that will be evolutionary in a positive way. And I think we are not alone in this universe and we're going to introduce you to other intelligences is something that Homo sapiens in general can handle now. I do not think it is the end of the world in terms of psychological collapse. I think there'll be more people saying, I told you so. And if the government introduces the headline with the tall whites, let's say, and maybe some others, why can't that be done? 
without people worrying about the collapse of the earth, because otherwise, Woodley, we are living classified reality. It has been classified <laughs> reality since World War II. It, we are. That's well yeah. said. We live in a reality that's classified. Therefore, we don't yeah. know who we are, where we are, where we're going. It's crazy. It's crazy. But, you know, we never can forget the Crabwood message. And I want to yes. pull it together on this. Beware the bearers of false gifts and their broken promises. Yeah. There is good out there, much pain, but still time. That was in 2004. Now it's 20. In a crop formation in, a crop in England. Formation, <laughs> in a, which was, the if you, if you look that formation up, it's loaded with debunking from the intelligence community because they hated that more than everything because they are the ones who did not resist the false gifts. And when we talk about the materials and all of that stuff, those are the false gifts. And there's a reason that we were able to understand, we're actually able to understand gravity, but not the propulsion system. Not the propulsion system. You know, uh, we, we, because we can, we, we can make something that floats. But we can't make it go anywhere. Because we don't understand that propulsion system. That's, so the false gift was we were allowed to understand gravity, but not how to use anti-gravity. And Whitley, it's moving in and out of other dimensions so that you travel from the matter world into yes. another dimension to make a cushion shot. And that is what humans cannot do. Right. Like the tall whites can, the grays can, and I assume others. And that is the key. We are talking about being able to move the dimensions of this gigantic cosmos. We are based like babies in the third dimension on a planet. To me, this could be the most exciting time and moment ever right. in the history of the world. I feel excitement about wanting to be introduced. I want to know more about the universe. I want to know if three trillion galaxies have three trillion species of life. They're liable to have quite a few more than that. <laughs> if it was just one intelligent species per galaxy, that would be quite a surprise. <laughs> um, okay, the last part of that communication is there is good out there. We oppose deception. And let's end it there. Yes. We do too. We oppose, we oppose deception. deception. <laughs> Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. God be with you all. <clears throat> and I am coming to the end of this broadcast. Agape hug. Or not. Agape hug to you and everybody. Oh, who I is love here. you so, Linda, my dear friend, for all these years. Yeah. What a journey we have been on. To the divine light. To the light. The thought that dwells in the light forever. Should acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should all acquaintance be forgot and never
Allah.